am witnessing waves now. I am I am witnessing Zach Hill drumming for waves back in <laughs> 2009. I think he did that. I don't remember. I actually I don't know that one. It I like I, it, it what what project what is that project like? Is that- waves that's w a v v e s uh they're like a psychedelic like freak out rock band i wouldn't call them like math rock or noise rock exactly but like like you know like freak rock kind of they're they're wild and they're very west coast uh and one of the guys from waves has a electronic project that you might know hold on okay I yeah that's kind of what up. i'm asking for is like yeah what's this it's uh but like like pretty lightning bolt or something like that. Sweet Valley. Sweet Valley is the okay. one of the guys from Waves and his brother. And Sweet Valley is one of the the best. I'll put a Sweet Valley track at the end of this episode because they fucking rule. Video game samples, weird dub effects, like really creative nice. use of a lot of different sonic textures. What uh, if it was freak rock with a pH and it was just a bunch of the bleep blorps you would use to freak payphones back yeah. when that was a thing <laughs> phone freak rock and you just yeah. didn't, like play songs that uh encourage like certain breakers in certain right. systems to like flip around <laughs> i mean if, if it was really like <laughs> i don't know what that is this sounds you know, wild like, you know like how they play hacker music in a movie and like it's like news music kind of it's like and it's like a little bit of that mission impossible thing going on yeah what what if that was actually a binaural beat that was finely tuned to make people hack into their local phone systems. And, uh, I don't know, <laughs> rig elections for communists or something like <laughs> the, the only time I've ever heard Venetian snares music was during a hacker scene in a, in a thing. And that's all I can think about when I think of hacker music is because also, I mean, like there's also like window liquor from the, from the, yeah, from the, yeah. the weed, the weed, uh, grandma's boy, grandma's movie, boy but, when but, JP but, is walking around. <laughs> but I, I really, I feel very attacked when it when all like the fringe underground music that i like only shows up in hacker scenes like <laughs> like the entire soundtrack to swordfish yeah uh-huh. yeah well it's like that that's what futuristic music is right and like that froze like for a long time futuristic music was like um it was like big epic space drama right because that was our yeah. conception of space and then as we got into the 90s and things got a little bit more tangible technologically it became like future music was like weird drum and bass and like weird off the wall kind of sounds and like weird house music and minimal house and shit like that <laughs> it's and all, like it's all craft work and craft work and, and and that's it that was like the last time the future ever got updated i mean this is acid, not a new br- bring acid break core back bring acid <laughs> yes. break core back well i mean that, that's the thing like even that's like Mark Fisher's whole thing. That, yeah, Mark Fisher really, really dove into this. But it's kind of like even when uh like when Trump first started doing the Make America Great Again hat, you would see guys in electronic music scenes being like make, you know, make acid jungleist again or like make jungle massive again. And I'm like, no, don't make electronic music anything that it's already been again. Like that, that right. that's been the beauty of electronic music for so long is that it it shuns the reproductive element of culture and real I mean obviously it still has influences but it really sets out to chart its own course that is like this alterity to the dominant cultural function and I think ever since this can be traced back to like the capture of of dubstep by like bro step and like windows commercials that like ever since that happened I think like the the transgressive power of electronic music has really been just like put at arm's length 
And that really makes that, I mean, that makes me sad. You know that that's yeah. upsetting to me as a fan. Well, thank uh, thanks for joining our uh, our music <laughs> analysis podcast. No. Um, all right, that's right. <laughs> Welcome to Work Stoppage. Uh, I am your co-host, Lena. I'm John. And I'm Dan. And I'm doing the intro today because we are doing a little uh, Trans Day Visibility thing as your resident trans person. I want to give a shout out to all y'all out there uh, being uh, solidaristic and and working hard fighting for rights. Always remember that, uh, you know, our liberation is also tied in with everyone else's liberation. So we need to be abolishing prisons and police and all that other shit in order for us to actually have freedom. I just want to make sure that that's out there. Um, Hell yeah solidarity with all our trans comrades absolutely um we're actually gonna start off with a little bit of history today and oh, yeah. we're gonna let john take this one away yeah i saw this going around uh i have to admit to you dear listener when i'm looking for things for the show i do sometimes just go to the the subreddit um our labor and this was in there and i i thought it was pretty interesting because this is this is an article that they reprinted from 1903 detailing the conditions of child coal miners in northeastern Pennsylvania, the coal country area of Pennsylvania um, around Susquehanna County and Carbon County and the surrounding counties. So there's a lot of quotes in here, and I just wanted to burn through a few to give you a little bit of perspective on the conditions that laborers were facing, child laborers were facing in the United States as recently as not even 120 years ago. So some of the quotes in here, uh, it starts like, Every child of the coal fields who today is 10 years old has lived through at least two great strikes. During these periods, the indefinite and sullen discontent takes a concrete and militant form. There is talk by idle men of the quote-unquote rights of labor and the wickedness of riches. Deputies armed with rifles are guarding the company's property. A detachment of militia is encamped at the end of the street. The child's mother, whose face grows daily paler and more careworn, goes once a week to the district local to receive a dollar or two of relief funds, with which she buys enough food to keep together the bodies and souls of her family. The child's father at night attends secret meetings of the union and feels highly honored when the district organizer calls to him the password. The child learns that the worst crime a man can commit is to be a scab and that his noblest privilege is to join the union. The coal so closely resembles slate that it can be detected only by the closest scrutiny and the childish faces are compelled to bend so low over the chutes that prematurely round shoulders and narrow chests are the inevitable result. In front of the chutes is an open space reserved for the quote-unquote breaker boss who watches the boys as intently as they watch the coal. So they're talking about children some of whom you know, are as young as to be in the upper single digits, who are being forced to because you, it's hard to tell uh, coal apart from slate un- unless you walk right up to it. They have just recruited all of these children and been like, okay, your job is to walk up to the coal and slate and inspect it and, and, and pick out the coal. And there are other quotes in here about how these children are given like a, an outfit that is like their daily uniform and they're allowed to wear a jacket if they, if they have one but they can't wear gloves or any kind of finger protection because it interferes with their ability to go up and inspect the coal 
and pull it out of the slate. And the part that really got me thinking, the part that really like shocked me, honestly, was that these children also had their own unions <laughs> at the time. They had to form child unions that would have like a representative from the adult coal workers' unions come down and these Children's unions were so militant that the adult union official wasn't even there to serve as any kind of delegate or representative member of the child's union. They were simply there to arbitrate between the elected officials of the child union. And this is like, yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say like reading through this, it, it, it was a very mixed series of emotions because like on the one hand you have like the horror of the fact that you've got these, uh, like eight year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds working in like these horrific conditions, uh, you know, like 10 hours a day, six days a week for a fucking pittance. But on the other hand, in response to that, you see this level of militancy that we don't see for most adults right today in these like 10 and 12 year olds, like, and it's horrific that they are forced into a position where they have to do that. But at the same time, it's also kind of inspirational that they did. And it's like, it's, it's why, I mean, don't let anybody tell you that you don't have the power to form a union or be militant in your workplace. Cause like, it's not just the, the boys under 16 who are mining the coal. They even bring up like mill and factory girls are as zealous as their brothers in forming and maintaining unions the employees of knitting mills are members of the Textile Workers Union of America. Silk workers have a union, and girls who make squibs belong to the United Powder and High Explosive Workers of America. Imagine being like a 10-year-old girl and being admitted to the fucking uh the, the fucking explosive the high explosive workers of America uh in fucking That's 1903. Actually, I feel like I I almost aspire to it. I mean, obviously I don't want to be a child laborer, but I mean like to be to be the person who joins the explosives union sounds yeah. pretty pretty good. Well, pretty well, not it's, good, but pretty cool. Right. Well, and these these kids were going like above and beyond. The for, uh, it says when we had a strike at the mill 2 years ago, the former president of a knitting girls union said to me, the vice president and myself walked all the way from Pittston to Nanticoke, making appeals to the locals in every town we passed. The $150 we raised kept us going for the two months that we were out and we won that strike. And keep in mind, I don't know what age these, these girls were when they were walking around from county to county asking for money for their union, but the cap on these ch child's unions is 16 years old. So at the oldest, they were 15 or 16 years old, which is just like fucking wild to me. And the level of militancy is so great. It also says at Plymouth, a school strike was declared for another purpose by an arrangement with a neighboring colliery. I don't know if I'm saying that right. The steam with which a school was heated was brought from the boilers of the powerhouse. During the strike, the coal company employed in their engine room some non-union firemen. When on the first day of the term, steam was turned on in the schoolhouse, the pupils struck because they, quote unquote, wouldn't sit in no room that was heated by scab steam. <laughs> that, fuck, yeah. that fucking owns just the energy there is off the charts it is. i mean when i was this age that's the crazy thing like when i was this age i was like worried that i wasn't going to get my spicy beef jerky snack to bring to class yes. for snack Same. time and these kids have to walk out of their classes to keep non-union labor out of their town so they can preserve their them and their friends jobs who are in their same age cohort and you know this isn't 
in any direct way hyper relevant to any of the issues going on today, but I think it does provide a little bit of a thousand foot view of what labor conditions have been like in the United States. And it also provides a baseline where when people tell you like, oh yeah, I know you want all these improvements, but we've already come so far. It's like, we've come so far from the most unimaginable like horrors of industrial capitalism that you can even think of. And like, that is not a compliment that is setting the bar as low as possible and an avoidance of responsibility. Yeah. I think that this reminds me of like, I, I had a, a kind of a tough household growing up and, and I, and I really, I know that like I had a bunch of little brothers and we stuck together in this really, really strong way that like, I, I think mm-hmm. that was not, um, reflective of a lot of other ways that that some people are raised but i i see how you know kids can create their own culture and this kind of solidarity between them in a way that is a lot harder to break up than uh because you're fighting the adults i mean like it's the adults that are that are fucking you over and when you become an adult you're just like oh well i'm an adult now no we have the ruling class that's fight that we are fighting like we can remember that sort of solidarity and and like the kind of position of being a a kid who is being in who's in a bad situation and knowing that you need to fight back i mean if children can see it we should be able to see it yeah i think it's interesting because i mean they were really trying to get these kids into the workforce and turn them into like little worker bees like as fast as possible but it's also like i think there was a level of a a miss it was like a mistake not even in an ethical sense like obviously it's morally reprehensible to make kids pull coal out of shale like that's not up for debate but like as in just a purely technical manner it's almost like the capitalists made a mistake in trying to get the kids to work too early because your average 11 year old is not indoctrinated to anything yet like maybe like in a super religious household or something you can get you can get the walls up pretty fast on these kids but like I remember myself at 11 years old. You couldn't fucking tell me anything. (laughs) I would just talk back to you for any fucking reason. And people like to be like, Oh, that's, that's naive. That's, that's sophistry. That's, but in a lot of ways, like they're not scared of naivete and sophistry because like they're functionally bad for you. They can be in certain situations. They're scared of them because they share a lot of attributes with, you know, just resistance in general. And so you end up with this weird thing where you're growing up and you're like, okay, so there's two channels. There's like, you know, be rational and behave or, and then there's like, don't behave and be irrational. And that's the dichotomy that we're given. And it's like, there's so many ways to be perfectly rational and like, quote unquote, you know, misbehave you know, politically, socially, whatever. You could be whatever. a giant boat in, a, in the Suez Canal. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up, Timmy? I want to be the ever, ever given. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple of things in here I thought that was interesting. Like, one is that, like, even though this was like this article, like, was written 118 years ago, and it was written by a, I mean, a, simp- a relatively sympathetic author. Mm-hmm to the workers, but they still kind of tried to get in these pieces of like, well, the union's not perfect either (laughs) where they're like, well, they have these union meetings and you know, everybody's just like, yep, whatever the union says. And they're basically brainwashing them. But that word didn't exist. It's basically trying to imply that like the union is like the, the big puppet master over (laughs) it. It's like, no, that's, it's just solidarity, dude. It's like, well, that's capital. Can only think of something in terms of like direct control, right? There has to be somebody pulling the strings, 
they can't conceive of like a worker organization in which everybody it like sure there's positions of hierarchy there's there's social arrangement and organization but like when everybody's will is not even perfectly represented adequately represented you do end up with with fast moving functional organizations that can arrive at a conclusion on how to do something rather quickly and efficiently and when a capitalist sees that they're like there's a dude behind the curtain I can tell. Outside agitators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, mean, so I, I know that they play up that narrative because it's convenient for them. It's like a politically convenient narrative to lean on. But I do also think that there's a part of capitalists who really do think. They look at these unions and they're like, there's a CEO trying to fuck me over well, with this union. <laughs> and, and I think that that this real that idea of brainwashing really is like a two-way road that I think a lot of people that's really disgusting in the way that kids are indoctrinated into the capitalist system and expected to like almost like like if their parent doesn't make a lot of money blame their parent for that sort of thing mm -hmm. or and right. other sorts of situations where uh where capitalism is being told to people that that is the way that it works. When in reality, like we are communal people, like that yeah. is just that is just how we are, and uh, and and to say that like these kids understand how to make a union and can be militant is not surprising to me. Like that no, to, yeah. to just yeah. to just say that like there's some sort of brainwashing going on and just to be like, oh, well, I told the kids that they could uh, they could get together and make decisions, and then they did. And somehow that's brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I told, <laughs> Surprised I, Pikachu. <laughs> I, I told the kids that they weren't getting any fucking dinner tonight, and they all got together and told me I was an asshole for not feeding them. They must be completely fucking brainwashed. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's so fucking ludicrous. But Why I mean, don't my kids call me anymore? Yeah, and it's like, it, it, this, yeah. this, this fucking article really highlights, you know, sure, it highlights a lot how many things have changed since then, but it also really highlights, like, how much has stayed exactly the fucking same and the standards that they want to return us to you know in a lot yeah, of ways because one of the things in there that i think like really stuck out to me is like us like this is still the same as it was then and this kind of leads into some of the stories we're going to cover in a bit um is how it talks about how the lack of educational infrastructure due to the fact that they don't pay any of these parents enough to feed their family. So all their kids have to go work. Right. So after the age of seven, none of the kids are in school. So they have no chance once they become adults to get a job in anything other than coal. And so they are trapped with this like constant pool that has is, is like pigeonholed into this one job. Yep. And like how many towns across this country, like outside of the major cities have like one or maybe two industries that if you don't have a college degree, those are your only options. Like that's so yep. many places. Right. So, and many that's places. The so that's, that's the reason why people fight for prison jobs. That's the reason why people yeah. fight to work in the coal mines. Like nobody wants to work in the coal mines. That's not a good job. That is yeah. the job that pays. That is, that is where there are right. enough jobs to support a community. And like the idea that people are naive to the fact that this shit sucks is, is really, really classist, honestly. Yeah. And, and, and I know that we don't fall prey that necessarily here and like but we see it so often when going through these articles of these people who who are victim blaming and saying well yep. the people want the prisons well the people want the coal mines right. that's bullshit yeah well and it's yeah. like by and large you know like there aren't 
company towns, quote unquote, the way that there are, were still today. Like that has mostly gone away, but it's, it's like neo-colonialism. The colonialism didn't go away. It just got sublimated into this different form. That's a little harder to get a handle on. And it's like, you know, I'm getting ready to move to West Michigan. If I want to get a job in West Michigan and I'm not a fucking, you know, teacher, doctor, lawyer, whatever, my options are basically like, do I want to work for a furniture company, a logistics company, or... That, I mean, that's pretty much or it. Or luckily have some nepotistic tie. Yeah, or luckily know enough people. And that's also a big part of the reason I'm moving back there is because I actually have <laughs> connections in that region. But it's it's a lot of the same thing, you know? And it's like, you know, fucking, I just, I just went up there to look at apartments and I just drove past Lordstown two times on my way up and back. And it's like, every time I drive by Lordstown, my heart just fucking sinks because they shut, the General Motors shut down this plant. And it's like, they basically tried to wipe an entire city in Northeast Ohio off the map, you know, whether or not that's what they say they were doing, oh, budget cuts, this reason, that reason, like the, the function of the purpose of a system is what it does. And they obliterated an entire economy in Northeast Ohio. Yeah. And now instead of the, you know, in a, in a lot of these places, instead of, you know, coal or industry, it's, it's Amazon uh, is the yep. one job. Yeah. yeah. It, it, <laughs> it was the a, successor to Walmart who started that. And then Amazon perfected the model, which is a great segue into our Amazon roundup. Here it is, folks. We have to talk about Amazon once an episode because it's only (laughs) 80% of the traffic on the internet and of money moving around the world right now. Yeah, and and I just want to start with, we're not going to actually necessarily hit um, the election that just finished up on Tuesday, yesterday, um, and but we're not going to really have results for that for about a week. Yeah, so Obviously, yeah, we just needed to mention that uh, the the voting finished up uh, at the beginning of this week. And interestingly timed, coincidentally, on the same day that the election finished, Boston Dynamics had a big press conference where they unveiled their new warehouse robot, Stretch, Ugh. which is a robot that is specifically designed to unload boxes from trucks and specifically designed to be used, importantly, in warehouses that uh, like are not already pre-configured for automation means that it's easier, faster, cheaper to roll them out to more places that already exist. This is what they fucking do. This is the fucking McDonald's kiosks all over again. They will do this as soon as there is a fucking labor dispute and you will see hundreds of op-eds come out like, is labor unrest at Amazon contributing to a loss of jobs and greater insecurity for workers? And it's like, do you think a Boston Dynamics robot that helps in an Amazon warehouse springs up overnight during a fucking union drive? These technologies have always been on the way. They just wait for the right moment to unveil it when they can put the maximum fucking spin on it. Like, oh, this makes me so mad, especially just because like, ever since I saw that first Boston Dynamics like dog thing, you know, the little mm-hmm. pod dog robot, I've just had this fucking sensation in the back of my mind. It's like, if I ever see one of those, I'm instantly going to hit it with my car. Like, <laughs> well, there's, there's a nice graphic out there of how to uh, basically pull the battery out. You just got to be careful of the joints because they it will literally smash and take your fingers. But underneath there is a battery that you can pull to disable those dogs. Yeah. I heard the, I heard on Amazon, you can order a pretty good battery remover. I I think Smith and Wesson makes it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean like these stories were actually like the sort of thing that were actually like one of the things that first like started me down the road to like, you know, 
uh, becoming a communist, like coming from somebody with an engineering background was like realizing how like capitalism holds back technological development so much because this sort of thing in a, you know, like semi fair, semi just society, much less an ideal one would be great. It would be, Hey, cool. We can have a robot do this work that nobody right. wants instead to do. Of, and everyone can work instead less. of 400 but, tasks. It's only a hundred tasks. Like that's what we want. And, and everyone can benefit from this, this, this new addition to humanity's technology, but instead, because everything has to be owned by one of 700 people around the fucking planet and everything has to be like, you know, organized specifically for their personal benefit. All of these developments, instead of being advances for the productive forces end up being uh fucking like problems that end up destroying thousands and millions of jobs which just trends towards the self-destruction of capitalism and further crises right well it's like you know it really gives me a deepened appreciation for the luddites because luddite is a fucking term that people will be like oh you're just anti-technology you're one of those anti-civ people you fucking luddite you fucking primitivist and it's like the luddites were fucking baller as fuck do you think they took a look at those looms that were gonna do like you know that were gonna make their job like 25 fucking times faster and they were like this technology is inherently bad no they looked at it (laughs) and they were like i know what my boss is gonna do with this i know what this is gonna do to the families in my fucking nation neighborhood and like yeah i don't i don't have any opposition to robotics as like a, a neutral in, in, a, in a vacuum you know i don't have any opposition to technology at all i'm actually very pro technology but it's like when somebody is oppressing you you don't say like hey i think i know a way to make your gun work better you know, like that's like <laughs> you just yeah. don't help them with that so yeah i mean this is this is fucking reprehensible and it's the same fucking move that we've seen from big corporations over and over again to finally roll out technological advancements that could be allowing them to pay their workers more and work less hours and instead using it to uh, have them work no hours for no pay instead. And then just one other little story uh, but, um, just in our mini Amazon roundup here. <laughs> so... Uh, over the past week or so, Amazon has also been, as the uh, election ramps up and, you know, more and more press comes out about it, uh, their social media campaign has gotten aggressive to the point where one of Amazon's own internal security engineers <laughs> oh, yeah. filed a internal report uh, alleging that the Amazon News's account had probably been hacked because, quote, these tweets are unnecessarily antagonistic. <laughs> And may be a result of unauthorized access by someone with access to the account's credentials. Yeah, because wasn't it that account was like going off about the whole peeing in bottles thing? It was like, do you really think people are peeing in bottles? Are you really such a small brain fucking idiot? Like, you just, I mean, they weren't like going that that hard. That tweet was directly at Elizabeth Warren, who, despite being an idiot sometimes, I don't think that that, this is particularly that case. No, yeah. Well, the other thing is like that. That one in particular where they're like, you didn't actually believe that, did you? And then immediately there's hundreds of people who are like, 
there's like this is just the most easily provable yeah. fact. Like, Do you want to see the pee bottles? Like, show me the pee <laughs> bottles. Like, <laughs> like this isn't the sort of thing where there's gray areas. It's like everybody knows this is true. It, it was, like the, it, the pee bottles thing is like a great illustration of what workers do when they're put under this kind of stress because it's like unimaginable to somebody who's never been in one of these working situations. But anybody who has is like, oh yeah, I've definitely peed in a bottle. Like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I, yeah, you have to do that. Like they don't let us cause, cause they'll, they'll give you your break and the bathroom is all the way on the other side of the warehouse. And it like takes you six minutes to walk there, six minutes to walk back. And then you have like 12 minutes of your 30 minute break that is already being shaved around the edges for other reasons. Unpaid is gone. And it's like, yeah, do you have time to eat lunch? Do you have time to make that phone call for about your car insurance or your electric bill or whatever other important thing is happening in your life? Like, no, obviously not. And like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's truly mind blowing to me that someone would hear the pee bottles thing and be like, that's not real. <laughs> that's right. I mean, stuff. like the, the thing is like people are, are shitting in bags while driving. I mean, like, yeah. and the reason mm-hmm. why it's getting noticed is not because they're concerned about the health. It's that people don't sometimes don't take the bags out of the trucks when they drop them off. Yeah. And that's what, that's what, rather yeah. how it was getting caught. And I'm just like, I mean like, so think about all the times that it, that it didn't get caught, that someone did clean up after themselves. Yeah. Like, well, and I mean like, again, I've said it before. A fun- the function of a system is what it does. If the Amazon system makes these workers pee in bottles, whether or not the company officially acknowledges it, they love that they do that. And in this whole denying it, they're trying to preserve their ability to continue to force workers to do that because they can stay Amazon longer than the internet can stay outraged about this one particular thing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, like, I'm sure 400 accountants that Amazon owns, Mm -hmm. one of their actuaries figured out that, well, if we give people more time on breaks, we will lose this much amount of profit to go to, you know, I don't know, probably uh, spending money on, like, you know, Epstein shit. Right. Um, And if we could spend half that amount of money paying interns to tweet at fucking senators and just tell them this is all lies, even though it's like the most easily provable thing in the world. And we're just going to bet that eventually people will move on because we're a monopoly and what are they going to do? Well, and they've also got that program where they're paying their employees to tweet from their Amazon official employee Twitter accounts about how much they love their job. And like, I've seen just fucking copy paste, like straight up, like copied from the Amazon official email that they were sent as being part of the program and being like, I've never seen someone pee in a bottle. I've never even heard about this pee bottle thing. I've never been outside my Amazon factory. Like, you know, it's just like, I haven't seen daylight in 10 well, years. I, 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 I want to know what, what company script is getting paid to the people who actually do uh, participate in that. But you know, the, I, I think that it's actually really not a lot of people participating because we saw a lot of fake accounts on Twitter post, all of this bullshit this copy paste uh nonsense mm-hmm. and and uh profile pictures that are clearly doctored yeah that's true yeah, as well they're, they're like the most obvious like ai generated non-person picture <laughs> it's like ever. we've all been on the internet for long enough by now that we know better than this but that's the other thing is like millennials and and gen z or whatever like we are still a a very small portion of the economy uh a part of the population but an even smaller portion of the economy so a lot of this is just like 
boomers and Gen Xers trying to figure out how to fool other boomers and Gen Xers. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's evil, but then to add insult to injury, it's also like grossly incompetent <laughs> and it still works. <laughs> and that is the part that really makes me upset is I'm like, I would have thought this was too stupid to try. <laughs> and it's working. Yeah, yeah I think that so, well, we we often think that when we see blatant propaganda is like, oh, who's gonna fall for this? And it's like, so a lot of people don't have time. Like, the, yeah. and and, yeah. and maybe maybe just aren't familiar with that corner of the internet. Or I mean, like, think about the way that like you Facebook bubbles work in how you can curate your own feed to only see what you want to believe, mm-hmm. and and how this is basically the same thing. And you're like, oh well, I mean, obviously there are people who enjoy their job and so we right. i can go looking for that and i can see all of that and i can yeah. and i can just ignore the fact that there's this weird eyeball at the corner of the photo <laughs> and they're they're also <laughs> they're they're trying to flood twitter and facebook like search results too so if people go googling things cuz google polls quite rapidly like not quite in real time but like very quickly after something is posted on twitter it will start showing up in google search results for relevant keywords and terms and they know that and they if you're searching for amazon they want like fucking clueless boomers to be able to send each other chain emails that say like 1000 amazon employees who love their jobs and like have these like weird you know fucking feel and are good being stories silenced by the union yeah in in between <laughs> photos of a fucking squirrel water skiing and like posts about how <laughs> jesus loves tractors or something you know it's like it's also but it, that like that's a plane of of ideological reproduction that we're just not tapped into uh and amazon is but i mean it's so it's so transparent to us and uh obviously yes amazon workers have to pee in bottles it's ridiculous to think that they don't are you joking yeah we, yeah. we did just go around in circles a lot just to just to, so just to cover, but yeah, like yeah. it's so <laughs> aggravating it's very easy to go to like get up in arms about it because it's just yeah. fucking wild it, and they, they want to talk about brain we, we mentioned brainwashing in the beginning of this episode and like how is that not that exact same thing it's propagandizing and lying Right. Well, it's like um, it's like a whole gish gallop condensed into one fucking like idea. Like a gish gallop is where you just say so many off the wall. It, like Trump did it a lot. You say so many fucking off the wall things that there's so much to respond to, and so many different points of connection to respond to in your fucking gibberish. That when the next person has a turn to talk, they like don't even know where to begin, and it's like disorienting, and it can really put your opponent on the back foot. And this whole like people don't. Amazon workers don't pee in bottles is like a whole gish gallop in one sentence. Like it, there's so much connotation there and it, it's so baffling all at the same time that someone could think that, that you're immediately taken aback. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, it makes me want to do yeah. the, the, the fucking Biden thing where he was just like, whoa, 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 whoa why, 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 yeah, it really does oh, put me man. in that brain space. Well, speaking of Amazon, I, I mean, like we've been talking about this a lot. There's been a ton written about it, but I, I think at this point, probably one of the most like useful, like continued ways to look at this is really to just go off, like actually hear from somebody who works there every day on the ground, an actual right. worker at the Bessemer uh, facility. Right. And so Left Voice uh, had this interview here with uh, Francis Wallace, a uh, young worker at the Bessemer facility who's also a Black Lives Matter activist. And this interview is, 
really gets at the heart of like all the issues of a, why a union is so important, but B also, and critically the importance of connecting like the struggles of like the labor movement and movements like black lives matter Uh and how like those two can't be isolated from each other. If either wants to get like anything like towards their aims done. Uh, and so like there's a lot of good stuff in here. And so really I just wanted to, to read like basically uh, Francis's own quotes and, and let folks, you know, hear about the situation there in their own words. So we'll just start with them describing the work there quote. Uh, it is extremely tiring. I'll agree with that. Of course there's bending and standing up all the time. There's a ladder inside my area. Cause I do stowing. I'm climbing up and down the ladder, bending up and down, picking up the boxes. When you do that for 10 hours straight and you only have three, maybe 15 minute br- breaks, it gets really tiring. We have 30 minutes for lunch, but other than that, it's just two 15-minute breaks within a 10-hour time period. Me being a diabetic, I don't even have time to really check my sugar and make sure that I can get something to snack on in that amount of time. As with any warehouse, they have to meet a quota. You will have the certain quota that you have, and if you don't meet your quota, I believe it was three times, then they will terminate your employment. And it's a near impossible quote. That, that bit about being diabetic and not being able to get check your blood sugar or get a snack in hits like incredibly hard because that's exactly the kind of thing where Amazon is like, well, that's the worker's responsibility and there's plenty of allotted time, but it's like, you know, obviously the system is not set up for that. And I'm not diabetic, but I do plenty have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not diabetic, but I do have hypoglycemia. So I have personal experience with what it's like to be on like hour three of low blood sugar and like, I'll get dizzy. I'll get irritable. I'll snap at people and I might even like fall down. I can't imagine what it's like for somebody who has like an, an actual, like a really difficult case of diabetes to deal with something like that. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that, that this part really made me think about was there's there's this meme that's been I guess it's a meme but it's basically like a look at this cringe bullshit that's been going around Mm -hmm. of this post about like are you inadvertently committing time clock theft oh my god and it's the most like cop shit ever but that's Amazon's entire system is that they have constructed this environment with as much attention to detail as like, this is like the most Neo Taylorist environment. Yeah. <laughs> like I think out there where they have tried to like analyze every single aspect of like the workers point from like clocking in to clocking out to ring every single ounce of possible labor out of every second there. No allowance for the fact that, you know, people are people and might need to take a short breather every now and then. Well, I mean, once you clock in, that's the on to the script that makes you do stuff, right? Right. right. Well, it's like a, <laughs> there's they they even here's the thing. I used to think like capitalists should at least know that if they treat their employees a little bit better and give them more breaks, they will be more productive during their actual work time. And last few years I've been meditating that and it's like they know. <laughs> they fucking know that. They deliberately do this like hyper exploitation, this like weird sabermetric, you know, hyper analyzation, hyper detail, like structuring of of labor because they want to set that as the standard. Amazon right. wants you to know that that is how it's going to be going forward because they actually don't care if you keep working for them. They're working on making this a system that they can throw anyone in ring them out until they're just like fucking 
unable to work for whatever reason, and immediately just replace them with any old other person. And that's why Amazon has all this fucking proprietary warehouse systems. That's why working in an Amazon warehouse is like not just different in pay, but also different in the way everything functions than other warehouses is because they want to, and they want to be Apple without the competition of windows. They want to make everything proprietary and only work with itself. And that reminds me of uh, uh, an anecdote that I heard about uh, Jeff Bezos's first uh, employment ad that he had ever put out, which was spe- like specifically said something to the effect of, can you do a job three times as fast as anyone else for the exact same pay? Like that was oh. the first ad he ever put out. Oh my God. Wow. That's fucked up. I mean, but you still see that language in fucking uh, job yeah. ads now. So uh, there's a couple more uh, quotes here from about the specifically about the union drive. Quote, inside the warehouse, most of the workers don't talk about it. But I feel that's mainly because most of the workers don't have time to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. We're all separated in our stations, and if we don't reach our quotas, we could jeopardize our jobs. We don't tend to talk to each other unless we're on breaks, and we don't have a lot of time to do that. In the warehouse, they have pieces of paper that are set up on the tables listing all the reasons they believe you shouldn't join a union and telling you to vote no. They'll text you several times a day telling you to vote no. What the fuck? Uh, It's gaining a lot of press, but at the warehouse, it's different. They don't really talk about it much. You have maybe two or three people that'll stand outside on the corner. That's the closest they'll allow them to get, and they'll stand over there with their table and their little signs and try and tell you to join the union, but they don't let them close enough to the building to really interact with the workers. The workers have a fair chance to just get swayed by what you get messaged to you on Amazon A to Z, which is an internal app at Amazon for Amazon workers, uh, and what you see on your table while eating lunch. Oof. God damn that Amazon A to Z thing. I didn't know that existed until I read this quote a little earlier today, but like that sent a shiver down my spine. Is there just like, here's the complete repository of all knowledge about Amazon that you'll ever need straight from the horse's mouth. It's <laughs> that like, will I don't ever know, man, give you. I think this horse is a fucking liar, you know? <laughs> well, cause it's, cause like, you know, we talk about things like company towns and, and company script and so the, the A to Z thing though, is like we've t- we've also talked about how you know like with the proliferation of the uh, power of tech companies you you get this weird sort of techno feudalism mm-hmm. and i feel like this is amazon this app is amazon's way of like privatizing their workers public square because it's like this is the space that you have to do your you know talking with your uh, with your coworkers and it's conveniently provided and managed and completely controlled by your employer. Right. Yeah. The commons. Well, it's like uh, yeah. they they say some shit like uh, that when you're when they tell you about Amazon A to Z at the job, your supervisor will probably even without thinking about the implications be like, "This is basically like your Amazon Bible. You're gonna want to refer to this for everything." And it's like. I don't want a fucking Amazon Bible. And also, you know, (laughs) isn't this more like an Amazon uh, Magna Carta or like feudal decree? (laughs) You know, like it's really, it's so much worse than all that. But it's just another way for them to establish the way that all of the terms are handled, put the boundaries on discourse around job rights and all of that stuff. Uh, And, you know, like you said in the quote, like physically distance union organizers from the workforce and keep the workforce so unbelievably overworked that they literally do not have a spare second to go talk to some fellow with a sign. 
the ruling class believes in one sort of social distancing and it will affect your work conditions. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And then um, the the interview kind of gets into uh, talking about uh, some of their work with Black Lives Matter and goes into like uh, the ways that uh, Black Lives Matter and labor organizing can work together and the ways in which Amazon has really, you know, tried to co-opt that messaging. And so right. to, to, to quote, continue quoting a lot of people, including the corporations have hopped on Black Lives Matter for clout, but when the majority of your employees are black and you work them like dogs, putting Black Lives Matter on your website doesn't help them. You're still keeping them as a marginalized group. You're not helping them. That's just publicity. Yep. In Black Lives Matter, we're fighting to make sure that we don't get murdered. And with the union, we're just fighting to make sure that we can get a livable wage and we can have proper care. And we're not being worked like dogs all the time. And so it's just fighting for basic human rights. It's all the same. It doesn't always feel like you're making history when you're actively making it. Correct. That's, correct. And That's so correct. Yeah, I just thought that was an, that was an incredible, like, quote. I mean, it really ties it together and it really, like, fucking lets you know, like, you know, the the ruling class, like, Amazon can run ads for Black Lives Matter. They can slap a pride flag on a cop car. Like Chase Bank can uh, show a gay couple in its commercial or whatever. Those people do not care about you. The fucking worker organizations are the are the real location of the politics. Uh-huh. The real support for marginalized groups. The you know if you want to be anti racist, if you want to be you know uh, anti homophobic, anti transphobic, you know anti bigoted of whatever kind. Anti-capitalism is a vital part of that, or at least pro pro workerism, not workerism like workerism, but you know pro workerism in general. It, I mean, it, it re- reminded me of like uh, one of my favorite uh, like protest chants that I've seen at like some of the various like big labor protests, especially in the Northwest and like like on streams in like Portland, where you'll have like the unions out there. And one of the ones that I've seen them do is stuff where the first line will either be like gay rights or like trans rights, Muslim rights, refugee rights. It, it's like mm-hmm. gay rights, workers' rights, same struggle, same fight, workers of the world unite. Oh, nice. there you go. It, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of something that I reminded me of, which was much darker, which was that photo that I posted in Laugh at Shit Libs in uh, the Discord, which was <laughs> the uh, Bank of America transfer wealth. And it's some guy Oof, in a business yeah. suit handing a homeless person a can and all the cans are like have big, bold, like logos on them as if like to just like say the quiet part out loud that like here in uh, Michigan, we have this can return thing. And that is actually just supposed to be to employ home houseless people like that that is why that exists it is not a recycling program to look good for the politicians it is it is meant to like to like to quell the houseless population i didn't know that because growing up in michigan as a kid like i would use the fucking 10 cent return as a way to just get like snack money oh, and, to make go to the chil- gas yeah, and make children do labor yeah yeah and make children do labor exactly but i didn't know that it was the- i mean that makes sense that is such a fucking like libertarian brain like michigan michigan government brain thing is to be like well we have a houseless population in one of the coldest and most inhospitable states to people who don't have homes what should we do it's like well it's make can returns 10 cents instead of five cents this so they can the, take that shit to the gas yeah. station right this is the that pepsi ad but but like but much yeah. more dark <laughs> damn yeah that fucks me up i didn't even think about that but yeah and so then they they finish out the interview with like basically calling to to any workers out there that are suffering similar conditions at other amazon facilities or like around the country that like 
regardless of the outcome of their specific union drive that like every worker deserves a union and every worker should be ready to fight for one. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so good to hear from people uh, on the ground. Like we, we I, I actually wanted to shout out to like working people podcast. Like that is a Hell podcast yeah. where if you want to like actually hear people like the workers talking about this, I mean like I know we do labor reporting and it can be kind of fun or interesting and all that, but it is still really important to listen to the direct workers voices. So we always will, um, we'll hold up our, uh, comrade podcasts who do that sort of thing as well. Oh my God. Uh, do we, do we run a panel show because we don't do interviews really is that what we are are we a fucking panel show <laughs> or like a, like, like a drive time radio show oh no <laughs> my whole they're gonna have to get a soundboard you told me that michigan can return thing and then i had this and now my whole world is crashing down now i'm just fucking kidding. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it takes a lot to to get interviews going in fact i mean even the interview that we had last week on the patreon episode uh was sam knight who is a who's another reporter so yeah. it's, i That's mean like also great super great interview and uh, it's in the preview but he also comments on all of the other stuff that we talk about in the episode so become a patron i have a shitty job so being a host on this show is kind of like having an interview every episode (laughs) (laughs) that's that's true Uh, anyway yeah um speaking of shitty jobs uh we wanted to just highlight how state oshas which we have remarked many times uh are pretty fucking useless and really don't even do anything at all uh are are continuing in that pattern of behavior to the shock and awe of exactly nobody. So this is a story from labor notes about a vaccine bottling plant that, uh, was recently built, um, for, uh, Catalent, which is, uh, the company that is going to run the bottling plant in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. And so, uh, labor notes had interviewed multiple workers on the job site who were helping build this facility uh, who have since come forward to complain about uh, basically lax or in a lot of places non-existent COVID safety mm-hmm. protocols on the job site, which led to a ton of people getting infected. Uh, I mean, the irony being lost on absolutely none of them that this is, you know, a facility that's supposed to be processing COVID-19 vaccines, it's supposed to be this high-tech, you know, clean room area. Right. And yet, when it comes to worker safety, none of that shit got enforced. Yeah, they said on the first day they had... I mean, it's a lot like what I see at my job. First day, he says, had a front gate protocol, temperature checks, get a wristband saying you've been tested for the day, answer a questionnaire. Says uh, Chris Shanifelt, a union electrician who had worked at the site. After that, our bus driver started taking us to the back gate. The quote-unquote back gate was a construction door, an entrance used by at least one crew on the job with none of the health protocols observed at the main entrance. That's like my job. They used to give us hand sanitizer, gloves. There was a temperature check immediately in the front office that I could walk in and get my temp checked every day. Like All that stuff is gone. Temperature machine broke, out of gloves, out of hand sanitizer. I bring all my own shit from home now. Uh, yeah. So he also says they were not enforcing face masks. They were not enforcing hand washing or sanitation, like just really bare bones, basic COVID prevention shit. Right. And this is where they're making the vaccines. This is where they're bottling it. Right. Still. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So they talk about like, in addition to not like, you know, going through the normal protocols when you're walking onto the job site, like, you're still supposed to enforce some kind of social distancing as you can, but like 
uh, one of the other uh, electricians that worked on the job, uh, Tom Ravalette, said, you couldn't turn around with your arms open and spin around without touching someone. It was nuts. They had us in a little area trying to do everything at once. You literally couldn't social distance. And he said he was not at all surprised when he came down with COVID-19 and had to take uh, 10 days off. And after he confronted a supervisor about the fact that none of these protocols were being followed. Like none of the social distancing was being enforced. Uh, they, uh, laid him off. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I mean, workers shouldn't have to catch COVID-19, but if they do, they should at least get the luxury of being surprised, right? Like you shouldn't be in a fucking environment <laughs> yeah. where you're like, well, of course I caught the virus like that's yeah. just, yeah, despicable. we're in a vaccine bottling plant. This is where you get the virus. <laughs> oh <laughs> right. God. That hurts. They did say, because that's one of the other things that was interesting about this story uh, was something that I hadn't considered was the fact how many of these, you know, construction trades are like, we're going to do this job for X number of weeks or months, Mm -hmm. and then it's on to the next thing at a completely different facility. And so a lot of these workers are like traveling electricians. And so when one of them was fired for, you know, getting COVID and then coming back and being like, Hey, what the fuck? Several other, uh, like IBEW associated electricians did leave the job in solidarity yeah. and likely I would assume, you know, a concern for their own safety. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and who could blame them? The other thing that I was struck by in this that I just had never realized, like, obviously we know that the fact that, you know, our complete lack of a healthcare system in this country completely fucks over working class people in that regard. I think everyone knows that. But they pointed out that even on this, like, they're building a COVID-19 vaccine bottling facility. And after the first outbreak where a half a dozen workers tested positive, the workers on the site were forced to pay for their own COVID tests. And even though last year Congress paid passed like the coronavirus response act that was supposed to provide like sick time for everybody, it had an exemption for private employers with more than 500 employees. And since everything in this fucking country is a monopoly, that's every giant contracting company. I mean, shit, I work in front of a fucking UPMC hospital. I was supposed to get the vaccine like a month ago or more because my job kept promising like UPMC is going to get you this vaccine. You work on the property. You're going to get the vaccine. And then I signed up through the system that they gave me, which they were late to deliver information on over and over again. And when I finally did get signed up, I'm going to a mass vaccination event at the fucking hockey arena, just like I fucking could have regardless of where I fucking worked. Like it's, it's, it's all so pathetic. It's all fucking smoke and mirrors to cover for the fact that we have no healthcare infrastructure and very few worker protections in this country. So then the story gets into a trend that we have certainly been noticing here on work stoppage. So, um, After uh, one of these guys got sick, got tested, came back positive, uh, they filed a complaint with the Indiana Department of Labor uh, against their contractor, Ermco, which was the electrical contractor that was working on the catalan plant, how they were basically just not enforcing any safety protocols. (laughs) And IOSHA which is uh, Indiana's, you know, version of OSHA, their state body. Let me let me ask, did they do a good job? <laughs> they did not. You will be shocked. <laughs> I mean, hey, hear. it's uh it's a state OSHA, one of the most notoriously mismanaged agencies possible in the US, and it's Indiana, <laughs> one of the most notoriously mismanaged states in general. What could go wrong? <laughs> so, upon receiving this complaint, 
from uh, the workers at this facility. Uh, IOSHA swiftly jumped into action. They notified Ermco of the complaint, did not tell them which specific job site it was. <laughs> then when Ermco got back to them and said, well, uh, we don't know which job site you're talking about, but here's our COVID plan. Uh, IOSHA got it, looked at it and said, well, dad, that's a plan. Uh, <laughs> looks good. <laughs> All right. Problem solved. <laughs> I got to say, this is certainly one of the COVID plans I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and when pressed on this, IOSHA's response was like, well, what they, we, they, you said that they weren't following protocols. They showed us they had written protocols. What, what more do you want us to do? <laughs> they showed us it's, that they it, had written protocols. You can't even send a guy in a fucking with a clipboard no. down to a fucking place of work anymore. You can't even do that. It's like that's government and, and overreach. So, that's social. <laughs> and, and just just to call back to our first story from 1903. Yeah. Cause you hear people being like, those conditions could never happen today. We have OSHA. Do we, <laughs> do we have OSHA? <laughs> I don't know that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Just in like, I think we have a building that has OSHA on it. I don't know that <laughs> we have much more than that. Bet that, bet that sign's not even union made. <laughs> you you hand you that meme where you hand someone something and you're just handing them OSHA and they look at it and they're like, this is a rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like you have all this, these guys had to, they, all these people got sick. They had to pay for their own COVID tests. A bunch of people got laid off and nothing happened to the company. Um, and they had basically the most dystopian ending to this story, which was a, a quote from a earning a quarter two earnings call from the CEO of Catalan, who, by the way, have contracted with AstraZeneca, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson. So they are uh, getting a lot of business. Ooh, they reported, put, put the right vaccines in the right bottles. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They reported a 75% growth year over year in net revenue, uh, totaling over $400 million. Uh, all while, you know, they're not enforcing any safety protocols on their facility. All while killing people. Like, yeah. let's just be yes. clear, while killing people. And while killing people uh, had this quote on their earnings call, it's important to note for Catalan, COVID-19 has been an accelerator for our long-term strategic plans. The majority of the growth is coming from COVID-19. So it's like, yeah, I get it. Companies that make vaccines are going to, you know, make more money during a pandemic. It's, so it's in their like, interest to these, infect people is what you're saying. <laughs> they're basically like completely detached from it, almost to the point of reveling in it. All while, you know, all these people get sick and die because it'll say they can get a cheaper bid from this contractor who doesn't enforce any security protocols to get the job done faster. Yeah, fucking disgusting. Well, on the thought of things being fucking disgusting, we can uh, move to our story about garment workers around the world, um, which actually has a slightly positive side of it. But the work conditions that are actually surrounding this story are generally very appalling. So one of the things that happened in the garment industry was that there was a kind of a dip in how many how much uh, demand there was for garment uh, work in general. And it was basically leading to um, lots of kind of um, layoffs and, and or not not necessarily layoffs, but starts it starts with abrupt cancellations of like of orders that were already put in. And right. 
there was like a huge amount uh, of these cancellations and these things are already made. These are products that have yeah. already been made, already been put in on an order. Uh, it was about $40 billion in contracts, which I think is a large number. I don't, I struggle, I struggle with, uh, <laughs> with, ha- with conceptualizing numbers of that size, but for reference, it's about three aircraft characters. Three. <laughs> That's also not clear to me, but okay. <laughs> uh, and, and it basically clo- uh, forced a lot of factories to close, um, laying off millions of workers around the world. And, in uh, November of 2020, the Workers' Right Consortium uh, released a survey, which I, th- I think I'm not entirely sure who this Workers' Rights Consortium is, but the the survey is is fairly interesting when it comes to exactly how uh, how these garment workers have been treated and. Uh, the number of countries that are affected by this is huge. We're going to go uh, with, there's Cambodia, Bangladesh, El Salvador, Ethiopia, Haiti, Indonesia, Lesotho? Lesotho. Oh, I'm not, I'm not even, uh, I guess I'm, that's a country I'm not familiar with. I'll have to look that one up. Uh, and Myanmar. Um, nearly 75% of these workers reported going into debt to buy food since the pandemic began. Many described skipping meals in order to feed their families, uh, being unable to afford food with protein and having to withdraw their children from school for lack of funds. Now, I, I was actually looking over this um, report just a little bit, and um, one of the, it said uh, a Bangladesh garment worker reported that they had been skipping breakfast for two months. Like they just Damn. totally Holy skip shit. an entire meal for their entire family for two months because wow. of these conditions. I'm getting um, low blood sugar just thinking about not eating breakfast. I know, I know. And and and, and this is I just want to point out like some of the companies that are actually uh part of these contracts that ended up with all of these people um starving. What uh some of those companies are Adidas, Gap, H&M, Nike, The Children's Place, PVH, which I'm not sure what that one is, uh uh Gildan, uh Walmart, JCPenney and Express. Um, and it says here that 20 companies control 97% of the industrial industry's profits, which is, I was going to say that's basically just like, that's basically just a list of the brands that are available at Walmart and target the two biggest and primarily on Amazon as well. Like, yeah, all of this is, this whole thing is kind of a function of the concentration of like ownership of all of these fashion brands into a few companies Uh because that's what gave these brands so much purchasing power that they can insert these insane force majeure clauses in their contracts where they can just be like, Oh yes, you know, how you already made all that stuff we ordered. Well, because this line went down, we've decided not to pay for it. Sorry. Bye. And in like so many other in so many other, you know, theoretical free markets. If you did that, that would be against your interest because then all the producers could, they could just tell them be like, well, I'm never going to work with you again. But when you have 20 companies controlling the entire industry, if they cancel a contract, you can't do shit about it unless you fight back 
like a lot of these workers did. Yeah, I mean, these workers, in response to the factory shutdown, um, that left a ton of people without jobs. Um, There were people in Myanmar who went on strike, which uh, was actually part of something that we reported on on um, the Myanmar strike, um, and getting basically some some union recognition. And that that took a two-week sit-in. In Cambodia, around 100 workers marched on the Ministry of Labor and submitted a petition requesting compensation after their factory shut down. When they weren't offered a resolution, protesters continued their march to the prime minister's house where they blocked nearly fi- where they blocked where they were blocked by nearly 50 police officers. And so, Damn. I mean, a lot of these these labor struggles are are things that we've covered or things that are are very similar to things that we've covered. Um also um there were similar actions in Pakistan um, and uh, Bangladesh, and there, there there were just basically actions all over because these people are starving. Like yep. this is, and 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 I, and I really want to point out that the reason why these these things are actually why there's any sort of retribution for this is because of these workers going out and fighting for this. Like nobody just recognizes that there are people are starving and then someone Mm -hmm. does something about it. It's only the people who are affected who really have the opportunity to do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was like one of my only because this is a, this is a, from an article on uh, wagingnonviolence.org, and like it's a it's a good article. Like it's this is a really good news piece but one of the, the issues i had with the article was kind of the way they framed it because there's in addition to all of these workers activities there's also a pressure campaign launched by a bunch of ngos and you know uh, like workers associations around the world to try and publicly increase pressure on the brands to to actually you know fulfill their contracts the thing that was odd to me about the article is it put that part first and it was like this is the primary thing that made the comp that is going to make the companies pay a bunch of the money back. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure it was like the thousands and thousands of workers going on strike. That right. That. <laughs> I think that that was like 99%. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but that's the thing we're conditioned is, and I think a lot of journalists are conditioned to, uh, diagnose the symptoms. You know what I mean? Like people point at the, the new deal all the time. They're like, FDR did that. And I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> FDR <laughs> right. was forced to do that by a concerted labor effort. And right. like, the other thing that's interesting about th- this is that I think it highlights something relevant to the very first piece we talked about, that 1903 Pennsylvania thing, which is that those labor conditions didn't go away. They just got moved out of the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we have that shit happen in Bangladesh and Lesotho and places that Americans aren't familiar with and they get away with it. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's the whole business model. Right. And I, I think that another really important thing to point out here is that this victory is not, I don't, I don't even know if it is such a huge victory because it appears that they basically only paid about half of the amount. And yeah. then mm-hmm. on top of that, so that it was, it was 22 billion out of the 40 billion that was stolen. That was uh, agreed to be paid back. Right. But then who was it paid back to? It was paid back to the companies. And did those workers get those wages? We don't even know. They did not. Think about the PPP loans. (laughs) Like in systems with even less oversight, places that are deliberately set up so that their economies can be even more 
hyper capitalistic, like hyper exploitative, like vassals to the American economy. Of course, those workers, they didn't see a fucking dime of that money. Maybe one dime rolled right. out from under the boardroom and, door. And one important note that uh, I see Dan put in here about the what like NGOs are, which is like non-government organizations, non-profits, yes. this sort of thing. Um, you basically you describe them as uh, release valves for pressure and contradictions under capitalism, right? Yeah, because like and this is something that like I mean Lots of people have written about this in analysis. Like I've largely got this from Mike Davis um, and his work on like slums in there throughout the global South as bit as the U S like exports poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that he points out there is, is that this is one of the ways that neoliberalism addresses the heightened contradictions that inevitably result from this just hyper exploitation uh, in, in these neo-colonial states is that you'll have these NGOs come in and they'll see like, okay, this is a big problem. This is where we're getting the most unrest. So what can we do that will not solve the root problem? Because we're going to solve the root problem. We'd have to pay people more and that's not in our interest, (laughs) but what can we do that might be a little bit of harm reduction but won't fundamentally change the property relations involved here so we can keep everything rolling along smoothly. Yeah. And like, I know that sounds like hyper cynical and I don't want to be the kind of person who's just like, is. all NGOs are an op, but, but like NGOs cannot be, it, it, that cannot be thought of as an end into themselves. If it's like, you're thinking of this group as like a temporary, like survival pending revolution thing fine but that's not like most of these ngos especially like you can kind of scale this with how much funding they get uh are there specifically to divert people away from more revolutionary right right and And also like it's it's not a matter of not trying to be too cynical because like sure we don't want to be cynical with each other because cynical has like a rude social connotation and that doesn't build solidarity but when you're analyzing what the power of capital is doing to organizations and to groups and to people, you absolutely have to be as cynical as possible because capital is this monstrously cynical inhuman force that like, if you're not cynical, you're not going to be able to, see one step ahead. I think it's really also yeah. important to point out that like though about half of the companies are paying like there are 18 other brands that are just not going to do it and there's going to be no repercussions yeah. for them and uh-huh. they're going to not there's no lesson to be learned here not even for the 21 who paid. In fact if there is that's the that's the lesson the lesson is to the 21 companies who paid in that they didn't end up in that the other bunch of 18 that didn't. Yeah. Um and 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 a lot of these work conditions are are beyond atrocious as well when we look at like what happened in sri lanka where seven thousand of their coronavirus cases that's that's about half of the nation's total cases were traced back to one factory that manufactured victoria's secret um garments that's half of the half of things literally a product of capital well a direct tangible product of american capital i'm sure the rest are products of capital in their own fucked up yeah, way. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and I'm sure a lot of these same brands were either running their own or donating into some of the like multi brand ads, thanking essential workers for doing so much right. while not giving them a fucking dime yep. and forcing them into these conditions where thousands of them will get sick and die. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that's, uh, upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, we're not yeah. quite onto the meme review yet, but we do have something that's a, a little brighter, a little bright spot in uh, Belgium. One of the <laughs> one of the most low key, <laughs> kind of reprehensible European nations. The happiest place on <laughs> earth. No, no, wait, secondary or whatever. It's not <laughs> They've got beer and waffles, folks, and don't ask about any history prior to like around the year two thousand. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, there was a very cool uh, labor movement thing that happened, and they did a massive twenty four hour strike that brought major sections of Belgium's economy to a standstill on Monday of this week. After talks between the country's largest unions and employers over future pay raises broke down and the manufacturing industry industry was described as being almost at a standstill in Wallonia and Brussels, according to FGTB unions president Thierry Bodson, uh, while public transport is severely disrupted. And it's like, man, I wish we had a fucking public transport network to disrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and and they listed like a bunch of like really big companies that were involved in this, like uh, Audi, uh, Volvo, mm -hmm. Coca Cola. So like they're shutting down pretty big sections of Belgium. Yep. And it's funny because the only ad, the only news that I've been seeing because it's because like I saw you had to pull this from like the Brussels right. Times, but the only news I've seen about any protests in Europe lately have been all tinged with every protest is an anti-COVID protest, and if you go to a protest, clearly you're a COVID right. denier, and no one no one who's responsible would be protesting right now, which is kind of what oh, yeah. like, I know one of these I employer still groups see right-wing people post on news articles about how oh COVID spread because of the BLM protest last summer, even though yeah. that's literally scientifically proven to be false. My fucking pair. Well, one set of my parents is being very responsible, but the other set is like fucking traveling between states just on a whim, going going out, hanging out with all kinds of guests at the house with no masks. And then when I have the gall to say something about it, they're like, well, you went to that protest last year where they burned that cop car. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I wore a mask <laughs> yeah, outside, exactly. and it was yeah. proven that that was not contribute contributing yeah, to so the it, rise in cases. I mean, they'll just be as cynical as possible about it. It's like that thing we talked about a few episodes back, where it's like they won't give you any fucking uh, protections uh, against COVID, and then they'll cite COVID as a reason to like lower operations or lower your pay or furlough people or they'll you know lay people off. And then when you want to have a union election, they'll make you do it in person. They, like they'll, it doesn't, they'll just flick to whichever side yep. of COVID belief is convenient for them at that moment. It, the company does not care about whether or not COVID is real. You and your fellow workers have to get together and be like, this is a medical emergency. But uh, yeah, the, the reason I wanted to talk about this fucking Belgium strike isn't even because it's awesome, uh, which it is. It's because of this hilarious quote from Peter Timmermans of the employers organization VBO. Uh, I don't know what that is. I didn't look it up, but it's just a bunch of fucking snakes sitting around a table. And he said, it's like a, a chamber of commerce sort of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Basically. And he said, uh, have you ever known a single country to go on strike during the coronavirus crisis? Who benefits from this strike? Nobody. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> dude, I, have, I started a show. <laughs> 
partway through the coronavirus <laughs> crisis and have covered a strike in Europe on about 40% of the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, like, what about the biggest strike in history? In India, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where basically the entire, well, like, in t- like the population of, like, the bottom 20 least populous European nations all put together the, that entire population was just the part of India that was on strike in the biggest strike in the history of the world. <laughs> there have been multiple weeks where I'm going through stories to put into the notes and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can include all of these general strikes. I think I have to pick yeah, which one's like, the most interesting to talk about. just fucking lie or like they're like so woefully <laughs> misinformed. But it's like also if you're a major like business owner, if you go to the fucking employers organization VBO in uh, in Belgium, I imagine that you know that like France has struck several times. There have been you know, transit strikes in the UK. Uh, As there, there are every year. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, there's strikes all over the place. What the fuck are you talking there's about? There's, like, constantly been strikes in Italy. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Spain. Uh, uh, and then it just, it, it continues with some bullshit. It says, like, Belgium's federal minister of labor, Pierre-Yves Dermain, hopes to broker peace between the parties. We will do everything as a government to find a solution between the social partners. They're not yeah. social partners. There's an antagonism there, and you should let the working side win. That's what you yeah. should do. That bullshit all sucks. Uh, <laughs> how, about some, how about some bullshit that doesn't suck? How about, how about it, a meme folks? review? That's right. <laughs> the good bullshit, folks. Uh, so my favorite thing that happened this of a past week <laughs> was the boat. The, the sideways the boat. boat. Which is, hands down, maybe the best meme material that I've seen <laughs> all year. I mean, it's not, we're not that far into it. Let's say for 365 days. Well, I like, mean, it's unprecedented, I, Lena. <laughs> Have you ever known a boat to go on strike during the coronavirus crisis? Oh, gosh, I didn't even include the our boats going on strike because yeah, yeah. there was the one boat that, like, fell off and was blocking a highway. It's like, are, bo- are boats unionizing? Oh, yeah, yeah I, I love that one. But yeah. uh, this, this first one that I... Uh, that we pulled in here was is the trolley problem and it's uh the on the top <laughs> track it's become a massive meme and the on the bottom track it's disrupt nearly 10 percent of the world's economy and then someone does a graphic st- sketch of the boat sideways in the Suez Canal and it says multi-track drifting and just like, I don't know this one is very nice I, I love the a hand-drawn sketch. sketch and I love the, the the multi-track drifting reference, it's like the full huh? meme and I, I don't know, just so good. So I didn't good. even I didn't even notice that the middle panel was an original sketch until you said anything <laughs> so because good. I'm so used to seeing the multi-track drifting thing with the the anime panel of the, the, the literally manga. the train on two tracks yeah uh, and it's it's so perfectly in the correct style that my my meme brain was like oh this is just an edit <laughs> and it did not think about it any further <laughs> meanwhile somebody probably spent over an hour even for a very talented artist like working on this <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's impressive and then there are so many good boat memes <laughs> like yeah then we've got this one which is you know the galaxy brain uh rundown of Working a non-union job. Oh, yeah. Joining a union. Participating in a strike. Engaging in industrial espionage. And then the, like, like (laughs) super galactic brain single-handedly shutting down the Suez Canal. That's how you get into the Tool music video. (laughs) This just reminds me of, like, we were just like, well... 
all we need to do is get out there and talk to all these ship captains, right? Like, where, <laughs> like, the ship captains union, we need to get them out there so that, we, and get them, like, turning that thing all the way around. Draw that butt. Draw that dick. Like, <laughs> well, it's like, uh, it's like that article that went around a little while ago. I think it was a year or two where it was like, the 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 internet is basically propped up by about eight people and many of them are furries and i was just <laughs> thinking about it i was like furries radicalize pretty easy in my experience <laughs> I, I, can i get some names and and email addresses i just want to talk about theory like <laughs> i bet we could get this going pretty good pretty fast i mean that's the thing people like to talk about like the cuban revolution started with 69 people right nice. or however many people it was you know nice yeah. it's a very small number <laughs> and i'm like they weren't infrastructure technicians they weren't you know they were just like organized people with guns and a and a will to to overthrow the government but it's like if we just got the right fucking uh, like tech support guys, basically, <laughs> uh, you know, turned into communists and anarchists, like this could this shit could be over in like two weeks. Yeah, and that that leads perfectly into the third meme, which is just the boat uh, with a photo of the side with that that like um that little teeny excavator that like completely dwarfed by <laughs> right, and the the boat being labeled the power of the workers organizing together and the little tiny tractor being the boss <laughs> yeah. and that's right that's right folks boss can't do shit when you're all out there blocking the suez canal like that's uh, that's how it is yeah i mean a lot of times uh the uh, you know a ship is operated by a crew but people just give the captain all the fucking credit you you can walk up to that guy and push him over the side of the boat. <laughs> I mean, there's it's that very whole movie doable. about how easy it is to become the captain. Now. <laughs> yeah. It's a it safe and legal us anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, throw, I throw my used bosses into the ocean. <laughs> it's safe and legal. <laughs> oh, wow. 10 out of 10 for that original meme. We just workshopped. Well, speaking of the power of the workers getting together. The next one we have in here is, is, is basically like a Pokemon evolution chart. Yeah. It's where technical. it's kind of technical. Yeah. I'm going to make it yeah, bigger. You've got, <laughs> you've got the one, uh, angry, you know, IWW cat on the left labeled disgruntled worker with a very low class power bar. And the their only abilities are complain to friends, critique capital on Facebook, uh, put in two weeks notice, find another shitty job or their own like damaging themselves move of lick boss's boots. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. No. But then evolving into the workers union, which is like a like, real, uh, diglet Doug trio kind of situation yeah. where there's just like a lot of them, you know, <laughs> but one, one Sabo cat is going to do a little bit of work, but when you get like, what is this? Like, 20 sabo cats in here yeah that's, that's real power it's more than the sum of its parts i'll tell you that that's right folks. but it's <laughs> nice. got uh it's got I like that basically all its powers are just strikes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um it's and missing then this... my favorite though malicious compliance where you go through the rule book and you oh, find yeah. terrible ways to do shit that are <laughs> technically company policy and you just start doing shit that way <laughs> and your boss yeah. is like what the fuck <laughs> Sorry, man. It says right here, I got to file this in triplicate. So got to do it. Got to got to <laughs> yeah. follow the rules. I'll be in front of this Xerox machine for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> I hope nothing needs welded. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and this last one is like a t-shirt design. I swear. It's got a tag on it. I want to reach out to this yeah. person and see if we can just get this t-shirt. <laughs> but it's just this guy with kind of, you know, sad hand, hand, uh, face in his hands almost. Um, uh, it's looking at a, a pizza. It says, if capitalism sucks, explain that that pizza party my boss threw that one time. <laughs> and that's really what they want you to believe, folks. If if capitalism sucks, then why pizza party? Then why pizza party? I've been getting pizza parties since I was in elementary school. They are unambiguously good <laughs> in every context. I mean, that's yeah. really what they're doing is they're basically saying like, oh, you want rights? How about you play with some crayons for an hour <laughs> and then get back to work? <laughs> yeah. Well... Anyway, <laughs> thank you for being here. Um, if you are, if you like the show, uh, you can get twice as many episodes a month by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash work stoppage. Join our discord. It'll be in the show notes. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We know a bunch of people have done that. Super awesome. We love it. Uh, follow John on Twitter at FacebookVillain, me at SolidarityB. Uh, Dan is on Red Game Table, which is a real play podcast. So if you like uh, gaming and stuff like that, check him out there. And then also John is on Beep Beep Lettuce. And, I, you know, I, I've started to uh, to go into some of your back catalog of things you've gone on. You've gone on, like, Cooper Cherry's show, like, a hundred times, oh, right? Yeah. I've been on that show a lot. <laughs> what's it? Uh, what's that show called? Uh, the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour is what it's called now. It used to be called Podcast Courtesy of Cooper Cherry. I've been a guest on, I was just on Left Unification Pod, which used to be called Annoying Question Boy, I think. Uh, I was just on Mandatory a pretty recent OT. episode of Mandatory OT. They're very good friends of mine. Uh, and uh, I love those folks very much. It's always such a pleasure to be on the show with them because we just kind of shoot the shit um shit what else have i been i mean people just ask me to be on shows i need to start saying no so please listen to my guest spots and please don't ask me for any more uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway uh again thank you all for being here and hopefully we'll see you next week solidarity forever solidarity out there solidarity everybody